Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone in the United States, in the region of Canada, and around the world, whatever time zone you are in. Shalom, peace. This is uh, Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host, for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. I also broadcast on another uh, internet radio station and that and other things. That's the reason why I haven't given a program uh, recently, but I'm going to try to do the best I can to give consistent blog talk radio shows. I've been on here since uh, 2007, and I know that people uh, do appreciate uh, listening to what I have to say. And so today, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a special program. Uh, there's uh, an issue that was brought up um, recently about marriage, and many people today are confused about what marriage is, and uh, people had their various opinions about it. But w- what what does God say about, uh, in the Bible? What does God say specifically what a marriage is? And so that's that's the purpose of this program today, to get a thorough teaching, a clear teaching on what God says a Bible is. Because people have their opinions about this and about that, but we have to go to the Bible ultimately for something like marriage. Marriage is an important doctrine or teaching in the Bible. And we, if we call ourselves ministers and Torah teachers, we better make sure we're teaching properly about that. And also... Unfortunately, divorce happens in society. The Jews understand this. They do allow divorce, and the reason why is because God allows divorce. He hates it, but he allows it. And so in this program, I'm hoping also to cover the uh, issues where God does allow divorce, and he give biblical examples of, of uh, four cases at least uh, where his servants have counsel people to get a divorce based on certain conditions. So anyway, uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Let's remember this. Whenever we start to think outside the Bible, that's when we start to get in trouble. 
uh, Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way which seems right unto a man. It seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And Proverbs 16, verse 25 repeats this. It says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We can't go by what we think is right, ladies and gentlemen. That is the problem of the world today. Uh, we go by what we think is right. And if we keep on doing that, uh, we're taking a chance. Uh, we're taking a chance of thinking we are right when we can be wrong. Now, another thing I want you to understand, uh, let's turn to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. In uh, my almost 30 years of consistent Bible study, I encounter this often. Verse 20 of Second Peter chapter 1 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, we know that one of the names of our Lord and Savior is the Word of God. The whole entire Bible is the Word of God in print, and so the entire Bible really is the message of a prophet because we know that the Word of God, Yeshua Messiah, is also a prophet. And so this verse, when you understand those facts, means that Scripture is not of any private interpretation. And why? Verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So all the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, can be used, including the scriptures about whether or not someone should terminate their marriage. Uh, all those scriptures can be used for, for doctrine. Let me read what, the, what God says, not what Canard says. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, it says, And that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, meaning that parents have a responsibility to teach their children the Holy Scriptures from, uh, very, from a very young age, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Yeshua Messiah. Verse 16. All Scripture. Does it say some Scripture or Scripture that we agree with? No, it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, inspiration. What is that word in the Greek? What is that word in the Greek? Let's find out. Inspiration of God, it means divinely breathed. So all scripture is divinely breathed of God and is profitable for doctrine. What does doctrine mean in the Greek? Learning. For reproof. That means conviction, evidence. Correction means straightening up again. Correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete. That's in the Greek, it means fresh, complete, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So what this scripture is saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that all scripture is given uh, to check and see whether or not we're living the right way or not. It also is given for, for correction and Yah's ministers or God's ministers are commanded to use the scriptures, to use the scriptures to counsel people and to show their students or Talmudim or disciples how to live the right way. And so when someone gets up on the pulpit and says, well, uh, a minister is not supposed to give advice about divorce, what... Where is that coming from? That's certainly not coming from God. And so you have to to uh, <laughs> use the scriptures to prove whether or not someone is right 
or wrong, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible is the foundation for all knowledge. It shows us how to live. All right, so let's get into this issue. Question I'm going to answer. Many people, or a significant amount of people, believe that if you just have sex with someone, that you're married. Now, is that accurate according to the Bible? Well, I'm going to tell you, no, it's not. Let's go to Exodus. Exodus first, chapter 22, for a quick answer to that. Exodus chapter 22, verse 16, states the following. If a man entice a maid, entice in the, in the Hebrew means to uh, flatter, seduce, that is not betrothed. Okay, what is betrothed? What does that mean? In the Hebrew it means engaged, so betrothal to what we call engagement. All right? So it says, if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed or engaged and lie with her, in other words, have sex with her, he shall endow her to be his wife. Now, let me ask you a question. If after having sex, she's considered his wife, how come he has to endow her to be his wife? All right? Uh, to bargain to be his wife. And verse 17, if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins, the price of virgins. All right, so this is a lot in these two verses, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, it indicates that, wait a minute, just because you have sex with somebody doesn't mean that you're automatically married to her, first of all, with this scripture. The reason why this is so to be the case, verse 17 seals this, says, if her father, so that's a condition, if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, which means also that the father plays a significant role in finding um, uh, a suitable husband for his daughter. And he plays a significant role in determining whether or not he's going to give a man to his daughter. And so right here in verse 17, if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. All right, so just based on these two scriptures here, should show you that obviously having sex with somebody before you're engaged is not considered a marriage, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, the Bible, hold your place here, the Bible prophesies that there would be in the end times doctrines of demons, okay? And we have to pay attention to that, ladies and gentlemen, because it's just, we are certainly living in the end times. And I suggest that you listen to a program that I gave recently. It's called The Characteristics of the Last Days. Please listen to that because it will give you seven characteristics that the Bible has revealed to help us understand that we are living in the last days today. But anyway, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter times of the last days that we're living in today, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It is a doctrine of devil to preach that Having sex before marriage makes you married, ladies and gentlemen. That That is certainly along the lines of a doctrine of demons and devils. And you have to listen to people who know what they're talking about. 
and do independent Bible study. Of course, that Bible study should be wise Bible study and, and using the scriptures, not your own mind, to interpret the scriptures correctly. Uh, another scripture interprets another scripture. That's the way you do Bible study. I certainly will do a program sometime in the future to teach people how to do proper Bible study because many people today do not know how to do that. All right, so let's understand something. Let's go back to Genesis here to understand something here. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24. Now, I'm going to read this verse very slowly so you'll understand. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. It doesn't mean leave and go to another continent or whatever. It's just leave meaning that he won't live closely with them. doesn't mean he won't be near them, though, because Messiah is near his father. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, okay, and they shall be one flesh. So I want you to notice something here. It says that a man shall cleave unto his wife, and then it talks about being one flesh. And how does a man and woman become one flesh? By sex, right? And so... A Jewish or biblical wedding consists of the uh, the father approving of a man to be the husband of his daughter. And then once that's official, there is an engagement announced publicly, considered married. But to consummate the marriage, that will happen, well, traditionally, it would be like 12 months. I know today, uh, Jews, they combine uh, the betrothal along with a, a ceremony and they get married. And then, of course, when they when they get married, that's when they become one flesh. And that's when the marriage is consummated. But I'm going to show you biblically, again, many other script, uh, a few other scriptures anyway, that just uh, that just having sex with somebody doesn't make the marriage a marriage, all right? It consummates the marriage. A marriage is when uh, you're engaged. That's really when you're married or betrothed, according to the Bible. All right. So, let's continue on with this. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Starting at verse 28, says, if a man find a damsel that is a virgin. Okay, so first of all, she's a virgin. <laughs> Has not had any sex, which is not betrothed. Okay, so betrothal is an engagement. And when you're at the betrothal period, you are considered married. However, there's no sex involved. And lay hold on her and lie with her, and they be found. Verse 29, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father 50 shekels of silver. So the bride price is, uh, is two ways. I'm still doing some research on it. If someone knows specifically what 50 shekels is, please email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. But it can be either in today's value over $400 or it can be $10,000. Uh, I, I have a reference that states that 
the value of a shekel today is $200. So it can be anywhere from $400 to $10,000. And this is what the man would pay the father, either 400 to 10,000 that range, around that range, uh, for for the uh, for the man, the young man to marry his daughter. And she shall be his wife because he has humbled her or seduced her. He may not put her away all his days. All right. So, again, we we have this issue with the betrothal being the actual marriage, not having sex before marriage. And also the other scripture tells you that the father has to approve of whether or not this individual will become his daughters. So, again, biblically, having sex with someone does not equate to, does not automatically equate to a marriage. Having sex with someone for the first time consummates the marriage, all right? But it is not the marriage itself. So that that is Bible. That's all Bible. And let's go to another example in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 Verse 52 to 53. How marriage was negotiated. I'm going to go to some other scriptures as well. Now this is a situation, remember when Abraham uh, used his servant as a proxy or take the place of him because he was sick. And he said, hey, you go find a suitable. And this this can also happen for a male too, by the way. Uh the, the, the father is responsible for his children to find a, a suitable mate for the daughter as well as the son. And so as far as the son is concerned, in Genesis 24, verse 52, and it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard the words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver, and this is the, the bride price here, of uh, gold and raiment, and gave to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and her mother precious things. So Abraham on behalf of his son, gave uh, money or the bride price to the father of Rebekah and the rest of the family. So this is uh, certainly in the Bible. And let's look at some other scriptures here. Verse 58 says right here, And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Will thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now, of course, you know, she's not forced. Uh, she still needs a desire to man. But the father certainly has a role in in allowing her to go um, with a man that, that she chooses. And it's very wise for the daughter to go by what her father says, unless, of course, her father's wicked and, and so forth. But if he's a righteous man, it's certainly advisable for her to go with her father's advice. All right, so let's continue on with this very, very critical and important Bible study in reference to marriage and what it is. Now, sex outside of marriage, let's cover that. First of all, let's understand whenever you have sex outside of marriage, it's certainly an act of prostitution. And it certainly is adultery if you're married. But anyway, let's let's look at um, Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17. It states plainly, There should be no whore of the daughters of Israel 
nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. All right, so uh, sodomite in the Greek means called dashi. It means uh, licentious idolatry, uh, devotee by prostitution. And so it can, it can mean that a male prostitute and also this verse also covers uh, a female prostitute as well. All right, so let's understand that he does not want a male or female to practice prostitution. All right. So let's go to this the following verse here uh, as we proceed here. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16. Actually, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of the Messiah? Shall I then take the members of Messiah and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Remember the scripture I quoted before about prostitution. Verse 16. What know ye not that which he is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, he said, shall be one flesh. All right, but he says, but he that is joined into the Lord is one spirit. But I just read to you, I just read to you, and verse 18 says, flee fornication. That's what fornication is. If you're both not married and you're having sex, it's like you're both prostitutes. And prostitution certainly is not considered, ladies and gentlemen. Sure, you're one flesh, but you're one flesh in terms of being prostitutes, not what the Bible definition of a marriage is, which, again, let me repeat, a marriage consists of the father giving his daughter to a husband, or I just read you an example of how a father looks for a daughter for his son, either or. The father plays a role in this, all right? And then they're both betrothed or engaged. At that point, they are considered married, ladies and gentlemen. And then later on, either during a ceremony the day the Jews actually after the betrothal they 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 have a ceremony, then they become married, and then they have sex. All right, that's the way it is done biblically, ladies and gentlemen. I'm trying to stress that. I know that this world has done a horrible job of showing us how a marriage is. Um, is done, but let's, we got to go by what the Bible teaches. Now, let's go to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. And I really hope that those who are listening to this, you really take notes and you, you pass this information on. I, you know, God has provided this program, this, this valuable program, that I don't charge anything for it. I never will charge anything for my teachings because I care about saving souls, God using me to save save people, ultimately, or give you the tools to become safe. Um, just just take notes here and pass this program on to other people. It really you will really help save not only their <laughs> the eternal life but but also their physical lives as well because many people are are doing things the wrong way and and they get cursed for it. So I, I just implore you to to distribute this program through social media. This this one particular program and all my other programs based on certain topics you're interested in. 
so that you can help people come to the knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> anyway, Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30, 3 to 5. States the following. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow and her bond, where she have bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond there she has bound her soul shall stand. Verse 5, but if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or her bounds, where she has bound her soul, shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her, because her father disallowed her. So I'm, I'm reading this to you to show you the, uh, the authority that the father has in reference to his daughter. All right? Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13 to 21. Let's read that. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Verse uh, 13 to 21. If a man take a wife and go into her and hate her, occasions a speech against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. Then shall her father, the damsel, and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of a damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city of the gate. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife. Here we go again. I'm reading this significant scripture here to help you to understand. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he hated her. All right, so anyway, I just wanted to, to point that particular scripture out to show you again that that's the responsibility of the father to give uh, his wife, to give his daughter to a suitable mate. All right, so 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. I'm going to quote these scriptures here quickly. Time is running out. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 states the following. It says, For you are brought with a price. So we, we are the bride of Christ. And so how have we been bought with a price? Well, his entire life, really. But that's somewhat of a symbolic of a bride price. For ye are brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then uh, Acts 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28 states the following. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of Elohim. So anyone is wondering whether or not you have to be ordained or not, well... The Holy Spirit is what appoints people to be who they are. Of course, you can lay your hands on someone and appoint them, but that doesn't happen every time. It certainly didn't happen with me. No man laid their hands on me and made me a minister. God made me a minister through the Holy Spirit. Uh, has made you overseers to feed the church of Yah, which he has purchased with his own blood. Okay, so that's symbolic, again, of the bride price. And Yeshua purchased us through his blood, through his giving up his life. And then in Matthew chapter 22, verse 2, it says, And the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, in this case that certain king is the father, which made a marriage for his son. So that, of course, justifies and helps you to understand what Abraham, who was the friend of God and, and certain, certainly a type of God the father, uh, is nothing wrong also with a father trying to find a suitable mate for his son. It can happen either or, ladies and gentlemen. For the daughter or for the son. The, the father is responsible for both. 
All right, so uh, John chapter 10, 25. Okay, I don't have to read that one. Um, so let's go to the betrothal period again, uh, what the Jews have traditionally done uh, as far as that ceremony. Uh, a kupa. A uh, covering, it consists of a cloth or a sheet, sometimes a tallit. A tallit uh, is like a um, something that a male and sometimes females, they, they wear these tallits. And, and uh, it has a zit-zit or some strings at the end of it. But anyway, a tallit is stretched over four poles. I'm talking about the betrothal ceremony here, or sometimes manually held by the attendants to the ceremony. A kupa symbolizes the home that the couple will build together. This is found in wikipedia.com. Now, kedushim means set apart, and the betrothal ceremony is a public ceremony, just like Yeshua attended a public ceremony for a wedding. So this is all biblical. You shouldn't hide your marriage. Uh, to express their intention of becoming betrothed or engaged, rings are exchanged and a cup of wine is, is shared to seal the engagement vows. After the ceremony, the couple is considered married, ladies and gentlemen. All right? Yet, they are not permitted to have sex until the end of the engagement, and the couple would live separately. And so when this ceremony is over, which is combined today, uh, Jews combine the ceremony. There's no period between the betrothal period and then the consummation. Uh, well, uh, and that, that's the way they do it today, and I'm, I'm going to explain that here in a minute. Yet they are not permitted to have sex until the end of the engagement, and the couple would live separately. It says only a get, uh, found in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 and 4. Many people don't understand what that's talking about, but it's talking about if after, during this engagement period, betrothal period, if the woman is found to have been dishonest and she's not a virgin, then uh, the marriage certainly can be separated at that time. Uh at this time, too, a ketubah, which is a marriage contract, is uh, is agreed upon during the engagement period. Now, this is the thing that's interesting, too. Uh, at this time, the bridegroom, or the husband, uses this time to prepare a new dwelling place for his bride and the children. So, So if you need time to do that, I think it would be totally appropriate after the engagement period to prepare uh, a dwelling place for your bride and potential children that she will produce through, of course, having sexual intercourse. Anyway, in biblical times, a room was added to the bridegroom's father's home. This is found in John 14, verse 1 to 3. All right, and so the, the son didn't just leave his father and go to another neighborhood or whatever. What, what happened was that there was another room made and extended. Let's, let's read John 14, verse 1 to 3 here real quick. John 14, verse 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And that word mansions in the Greek is residence, abode. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'd go prepare a place for you. So right now, uh, our husband spiritually is preparing an extensions, or he's, he's building, because he is a carpenter, right? <laughs> he's building extensions for us. Uh, in the Father's house in heaven right now as I'm speaking. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And, of course, uh, Revelation chapter 22, uh, actually 21, reveals that when the new Jerusalem comes down to earth, which is the Father's house, we will certainly have dwelling places there. And that's what he's doing right now. But that's also on a temporal plane. Uh, Fathers, Jewish fathers, they uh, build extensions. I think even some in, in Jewish orthodoxy today in the land of uh, Jerusalem, um, they do that, and they build extensions. And the son doesn't totally leave his father. It's just that he's next next to his father, but he's next to his father living in separate quarters or rooms uh, with his uh, wife and sons. So anyway, getting back here to the scriptures again. All right, so in biblical times, a room was added to the bridegroom's father's home. Now, in this situation, during this this period, the bride focused on on the beautiful wedding garments and getting ready for the event. Now, in Matthew uh, chapter 26, let's turn there. Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27 to 29. 27 to 29. Twenty-six. All right. I'm going to show you a scripture here, if I can find it, uh, which proves about Mary being betrothed to um, Joseph, and it, it shows you plainly that uh, she was not married yet to him. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Yeshua Messiah was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph or betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Okay, (laughs) right there, that proves to you. That proves again what I was saying, that she was espoused to Joseph. Okay, she was already married to him, but before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So that tells you right there, that they were not married yet. Now, in verse 19, I mean, they they, they did not have sex yet, even though they were married. Uh, Verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Okay? And so that was following Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 to 4. Okay? But what happened in verse 20? But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, that scriptural proof and evidence, again, that they were considered betrothed or married, but they didn't come together yet. They didn't have sex yet. So, again, uh, having sex does not totally qualify someone to be married to someone. So you have scriptural evidence and proof, again, to that. I just wanted to point that out again, scripturally. All right. And then the marriage, the whole marriage itself, the Jewish wedding today, combines the, uh, the betrothal ceremony uh, with the actual marriage. There, there's no one-year engagement period. And then there's a public reading of the ketubah, which is the marriage contract, 
and then you have a second cup of wine that's filled for the seven blessing ceremony. And then you have this unique ceremony called the breaking of the glass. And what it does, it helps to never forget the suffering of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. It occurs at the end of the marriage ceremony. It is crushed by the groom's heel. And then after the, the glass is crushed, a joyful cry of con- congregation, or, I'm sorry, a joyful cry of congratulation rings through the, the crowded, or we hope that anyway you have guests where the whole place is crowded. So so let me say that clearly here. I apologize. A couple publicly kisses, and then they walk up the aisle to the sounds of music, and then let me repeat that other sentence that uh, I chopped up here. It says, after the glass is crushed, a joyful cry of congratulation rings throughout the, the room of guests. Now, kisses, they walk up the aisle to the sounds of music. This is followed by the marriage supper and a reception with food, music, and dance. So you have a marriage supper, which is interesting, right? <laughs> this is what the Jews do, right? And you know we're going to have a marriage supper. And that's found in Revelation chapter 19. And so anyway, this is found in God's Appointed Customs, the uh, book on pages 56 to 58. And so, and here's another thing that most people don't understand. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. States the following. It says, When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business. But he shall be free at home for one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he has taken. So... God wants you to relax with your wife for one year to really get to know her. And that's something that's hardly ever taught. But that's right in the Bible, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. And so there's a lot of preparation for marriage here. And um, I will, in the future, give another program and go into detail on how it's done. But you must involve, certainly, the father in this whole process. And if you don't have a father, then there should be too mature, there should be a married couple that you consult with that would take the place of the father to help you determine whether or not you should marry an individual. Now, an unmarried woman or man, unless it is any of your first relatives, mother, father, sister, or brother, should not be alone in a room or anywhere else unless it's an emergency situation. It's considered a sexual event when a man and woman is alone in most cases. Of course, we have exceptional emergency situations, but in most cases, it is considered a sexual event. If you can't be with family, then a couple considering marriage should meet at a restaurant, park, or hotel lobby around other people. You should never have private meetings. Never should have private meetings. And also some couples, what they do before they get married, they have a mikvah bath. And that's symbolic of spiritually cleansing one another as well. So Now, there's there's been some confusion about uh, divorce. And I'm hopefully I'm gonna quickly go over that here. Uh, I may, yeah, I may, I'm gonna, yeah, more than likely go over here because I need to cover this uh, this uh, issue with divorce. So uh, the program will be off the air in the next five minutes. But please listen to the entirety of this program in the archives. I'm gonna go over this important topic here about should a minister advise someone to get a divorce when the Bible plainly reveals that could happen. Okay, so let's let's understand that. 
and and uh, I'm, I'm going to go over a few scriptures here to help us understand that God does allow divorce. He hates divorce, but he allows it. All right, so let's go, first of all, to a scripture where he states that he hates divorce. You know, I hate it too. I don't I don't like divorce. Who likes divorce? What What is there to like about it? You know, it, it, it's, it's something that uh, God certainly does not want people to do. However, he allows it. And so we're going to look at some scriptures that prove that he does allow it. And uh, looking forward to scripture here uh, where he states that he hates divorce. Let me look up another version here. And uh, we're going to begin our, our Bible study about that here, about divorce. I think it's uh, putting away in the King James Version. Here we go. Malachi 2, verse 16 states plainly, For I am against the putting away of a wife, says the Lord, and against him who is clothed with violent acts. And so he he does not like that, ladies and gentlemen. He, he does, he's He's against that. He hates putting away, but he still allows it. He still allows that, ladies and gentlemen, because he's a merciful God. And there, there are situations where uh, that that Hebrew word for putting away is salak. In Hebrew, it means to send away, to send away. And so he does allow that. And let's look at some biblical examples here. Uh, let's let's go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter ten. Let's figure out. Biblically, when he allows divorce, and remember, I, I began the beginning of this program stating the fact that the Bible, the entire Bible, is used for for correction, for doctrine, to to get proper teaching, and and also since elders are supposed to use the Bible for, for uh, to uh, teach people the truth, of course, an elder can consult in the area even of divorce, not just marriage or any other topic. So. When someone tells you that we can't, they're, they're not preach, telling you the truth. They're not teaching you correct doctrine when they tell you that. So anyway, um, let's go to Ezra. Ezra. Chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. For the people wept very sore. And Shekaniah, the son of Jehel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now these strange wives... They weren't like Ruth. They certainly didn't want to repent of their wicked ways. So so it it, it, it kind of confirms what Paul was saying about uh, if your wife or husband is pleased to dwell with you, and if they separate, then you're, you're not under bondage. So when, when, you, when you read this in that context, it helps you to understand what he was talking about. But anyway, we're going to continue to read this. And, um, again, I'm going to be going off the air in the next uh, 50 seconds, and I'm going to continue this very important Bible study. 
and uh, it should be ready. I'm, I'm assuming in the next, uh, probably in the next uh, 45 minutes, and then you can listen to the the rest of the program in its entirety. All right. So, uh, in verse three, now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all of our wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of the Lord and of those tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Verse 4, Arise, for this matter belonging to thee, we also will be with thee of good courage and do. And see, this is interesting. It's put away our wives according to the law. So obviously there is a law that allows divorce. And then don't let people tell you otherwise. And so... Let's understand that. And then uh, the Gill commentary, who, who's a, he's a Hebrew scholar, says, uh, to put away wives and such <clears throat> as were born of them. He means all the strange wives, such marriages being unlawful, and such wives might the more easily be put away since bills of divorce were in frequent use with the Jews, and the children of such also being illegitimate, and the rather they were to be put away, that not they should corrupt their children or get into the affection of their fathers, which might lead on to receive their mothers again. And especially this was to be done as a punishment of their sin. All right, so, you know, we're not supposed to marry people that are not of the same belief, ladies and gentlemen. It's not really considered a marriage, obviously, to God when that happens, uh, uh, when you knowingly do that. Uh, Ezra 10, verse 3, Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Verse 4, Arise, for this matter belonging to thee, we also will be with thee of good courage and do. Verse 5, Then rose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites and all Israel, to swear that they should do according to his word, and they swear. Verse 6, Then Ezra rose up before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan and the son of Eliashib. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away, so he fasted. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem, and to all the children of the captivity, they should gather themselves together to Jerusalem. Verse 8, And that whosoever will not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance could be forfeited, and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together to Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for great rain. So this is important. And we're talking about marriage. And this is very important. This is a major doctrine. And I have to stand up and cry out when people are not teaching this doctrine correctly. Because marriage and divorce, uh, marriage and then divorce, divorce has something to do with marriage. And so I have to address that as well. Verse 10. And Ezra the priest stood up and stood unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. And then the wives are strange because they were not like Ruth. They didn't say, My God would be your God. Twelve. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. Verse 13. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without. Neither is this a work of one day or two. We are many that have transgressed in this thing. Verse 14, Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand, and let all of them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times and with 
than the elders of every city and the judges thereof until the fierce wrath of our God for his matter be turned from us. Okay, and so it, it explains that all the, the the how they separated from those wives in verse 18, and, and, and among the sons of the priests there were found that had taken strange wives and, and so forth. And then 19, they gave their hands that they should put away their wives being guilty and so forth. So it just shows you that they, those wives are put away. Uh, and then Nehemiah. Let's go to Nehemiah because this happened uh, with Nehemiah too. And so Nehemiah chapter, I think it's 10. Yeah, chapter 10 too. All right. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29. They clave to their brethren and nobles and entered into a curse and into oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and observed and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgment and his statutes. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29, verse 30. And that we would not give the, our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land, okay, so that, that was the agreement not to do that. And then what happened? Let's uh, let's turn to another scripture here. Um, that proves that that occurred. Uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter thirteen. Let's see, this was serious here. Nehemiah 13, verse 25. This is how serious God looks at when you are a believer and you marry somebody that's not an unbeliever and you and you know what you're doing. See, it's different if you don't have a clue. But if you have a clue, that that's a sin. Nehemiah 13, verse 25. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. And people think that uh, the Torah teachers that correct through the scriptures are being being hard. Well, Nehemiah was pretty hard here. Verse 25. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Verse, verse 26 of Nehemiah chapter 13. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God. And, and for people who doubt that him having many wives was not sin, well, it tells you right here that he sinned, all right? Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? In verse 28 of Nehemiah chapter 13. So this is the second case where a great patriarch or great servant of Yah is counseling and, and advising not uh, advising the men to divorce or separate from their, their strange wives because they are not believers. Uh, shall we then hearken to you to do all the... Now, this is, of course, them knowing what to do, and they just uh, willingly commit the sin, knowing that they shouldn't do it. It's not talking about cases where you, you don't know the truth of God and you end up marrying an unbeliever and you become a believer. That's, that's a totally different situation altogether. Nehemiah 13, verse 27. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? Verse 28. 
and one of the sons of Joada, the son of Elashib, the high priest, was son in to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I chase him from me. All right, and then verse 30, we actually verse 29. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood of the Levites, the Levites. Cleanse I them from all the strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in this business. Okay, so this is the second case. Now, what's the third case? Uh, let's turn to Yeshua himself. He suggested and advised that people can get a divorce uh, in Matthew chapter 19. And this is, I don't know why this is debated. Uh, people just don't want to understand the scriptures. But anyway, let's, let's, let's look at the context here. Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came into him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for man to put away his wife for every cause? Of course not. It's not. And that's what the Jews did. For any cause, if his wife didn't fix cherry pie the way he wants it or whatever, they would, they would do, do and that's that's ridiculous. You, you don't get a divorce because of that. Verse four, and and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that which he made them at the beginning, made them male and female? Verse five, and he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so there again, when you're betrothed, you're already married. She's your wife, but they have to consummate. And then that last phrase, they shall be one flesh, of course, is the consummation. Verse 6, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Verse 7, they say unto them, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Now that's in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 to 4. And Now when you understand that, the let's go to that again. Let's go to that. Let's go to that. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting at verse 1. When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it came to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her hand. Divorcement means cutting off uh, the an absolution or a total destruction of the marriage. And give it to her hand and send her out of his house. So that that's a divorce. Verse 2. And when she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her in her hand and send her out of his house, or the latter husband died, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. Thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth to thee for inheritance. And so not finding favor in her eyes, the uncleanness is fornication, according to Yeshua's interpretation of this. So let's go to... Again, uh, so they asked him about Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 to 4. Now, here, let's listen to the master's interpretation of that, verse 8 of Matthew chapter 19. And he said to them, Moje, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And so Moses allowed them, but he allowed them too, because it's, it's recorded in the Torah. Verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. So, that interpretation of uncleanness is fornication. Fornication in the Greek means pornilia, is how we get the word pornography today. And so whenever you look at pornography, you are committing fornication, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so verse 7, because that's all pornography is, it's fornication. 
And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. So, let's understand this. What he is saying is voided if it's for fornication, and only for fornication. And also fornication can involve spiritual fornication because the the strange wives were spiritually fornicating. <laughs> and uh, I'm just laughing because I'm realizing the, the, the simplicity of it all. And they were spiritually fornication, fornicating just like the world is. Let me let me uh, let me hold my place here. Hold your place here, Matthew nineteen verse nine, and let's turn to the book of Revelation and how the book of Revelation describes fornication in a spiritual way. Okay, so in verse two, well, actually in verse one of Revelation chapter seventeen, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters <clears throat> so we're, we're talking symbolically but you'll see the reason why he calls the great geopolitical system called the beast a whore verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication spiritual obviously and perhaps physically in, in some cases but it's certainly talking about spiritual fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You commit fornication by allowing yourself to be joined with someone who's not a believer or adhering to false doctrine. That's fornication as well. And living in a way of false doctrine. And so that's important to understand that there's physical fornication and there's spiritual fornication. Physical and spiritual fornication. And then Revelation 14, verse 8, it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon. Babylon, Hebraically, means confusion is fallen, and is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine and the wrath of her fornication. The fornication causes confusion. It causes confusion, ladies and gentlemen. In Revelation 18, verse 3, it says, For all nations have drunk of the wine and the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have waxed through the abundance of her delicacies. And then in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 18, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Revelation 18 verse 23. Uh, the same thing uh, by their sorceries and that's uh, uh, pharmakia in the Greek. And so... A lot of pharmacia today, or pharmacy, that's where we get our word pharmacy today, uh, people are deceived by that as well. And in Jeremiah 51, verse 7, it says, Babylon, a confusion, has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad with spiritual fornication. And, 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 and the fornication is filthy. It's filthy. It's filthy. Pornelia which is, of course, where we get our word of uh, pornography today. All right, so I just wanted to point out that fornication can also be spiritual fornication, which can cause separation of a marriage. All right, so, so he's saying that without fornication, and if you marry someone else, if you put away your wife, except it be for physical or spiritual fornication, and you marry another, you commit adultery. And then I, I think, um, you, you know, 
there's there's some people that correctly have gotten divorces because of fornication. Their mates had sex with someone else. That's grounds for divorce, according to what Yeshua has stated here. And people, because they think that uh, just having sex makes a marriage, they think that, okay, well, you're already married to somebody, so you're already committed adultery if you marry someone else. No. I mean, that's that's a total misunderstanding of Scripture. When you combine all the Scriptures together under this topic, you're considered married when the father gives his wife over to a man or when the father finds a daughter finds a <laughs> finds a female for his son and they both agree to marry that that's that's a betrothal that's an engagement that's when you become married not uh when you have sex sex just consummates the marriage ladies and gentlemen that that's all it does it's not doesn't you don't not you don't come automatically married because you have sex with someone. Consummate means to make a marriage complete. It's sealed by you having sex. But you become married initially by becoming engaged or to betrothal. That's when you become married. And then there's an official document called a ketubah. That's when you become married. we got to get all this worldly... Um, misunderstanding out of our being about what we think marriage is, ladies and gentlemen. We have to do it the way God reveals marriage and what it is in the Bible. Okay, let's go to the all-important 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I call this the Shaul's uh, Midrash on marriage. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. And it's, it's a really good Midrash, and I wish people would just pay attention to what he says here because there's a lot of wisdom in this chapter. All right, and I'm going to go through this. Um, I'm really going to go through this in detail here. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 says, Now concerning the things whereof we wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So it is good. If you if you want to stay single, stay single. But most people can't stay single. Verse 2, Nevertheless, to avoid pornea, pornography, or fornication, and that's having sex out of marriage, every man have his own wife. And so right here in this one verse tells you, that fornication is not considered marriage, ladies and gentlemen. When you have sex with somebody, you're not automatically married. It says to avoid fornication. Let every man have his wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And so this scripture, right, this scripture proves that there's a difference between fornicating and, and, and a lawful marriage. Fornication does not make a marriage, ladies and gentlemen. It says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication... Let every man have his own wife, and every woman have her own husband. So uh, if fornication was marriage, ladies and gentlemen, which is having sex outside of marriage, then why is he saying let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband? Verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto her husband. Verse 4, the wife has not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband have not power of his own body, but the wife. So it's telling you that when you're married and you're having sex, uh, your your husband's body is is your body, and uh, when and then vice versa. The wife's body is her husband uh, is her husband. The husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and like benevolence in the Greek means kindness, duty, 
and likewise also the wife unto her husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but she gives her body to her husband, and her husband gives his body to his wife. And likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. In verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, uh, Destitute ye, ye not one the other. In other words, uh, you shouldn't, you should have plenty of sex. You shouldn't uh, avoid that. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a significant sin. In marriage, uh, you, you should not try to avoid sex. I know there's cases where uh, in a marriage that um, things come up when you have to delay it, but you should not try to delay it. It says, defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, for a time, okay, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, come together again, that means have sex, that Hasatan or the devil tempt you not for your uh, restraint. So let me uh, pronounce this in a, okay, uh, or... Yeah, pronounce it in a different version. It says, but afterwards resume marital relations that not Satan tempt you to sin through your lack of restraint of sexual desire. And so that's a sin when you don't want to have sex with your wife other than the fact of your wife is acting a certain way and, and not cooperating and and doing things to discourage you from it. That's a, that's a different issue altogether. Uh, but it has to be extreme, though. And, and uh, certainly it's something that you should consult with a minister of, of how to solve that situation. But anyway, verse 6. But I speak this, okay, and this, people, when they see this scripture, they, they state, oh, well, uh, oh, this, we don't have to, to go by this because uh, it's, it's not a commandment. But <laughs> that's not what it's saying here. And then when you read the last verse of this, this uh, inspired chapter by God, it says that I think I have the Holy Spirit. So these are all the words of God we need to pay attention. He didn't give him this commandment, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not inspired, that it's not wisdom that we should adhere to. Verse 6 of First First Corinthians chapter 7, But I speak this by permission. That word permission means fellow knowledge, concession, and not of commandment. So, I'm trying to look up the word here. Yes. All right. Verse seven. For I would not that all men were even as I. For I would not. I would. In verse seven, of First Corinthians chapter seven, it says, "For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man has his proper gift of God. One after this manner, and another after that, and another after that. So." Let's continue on with this. Verse 8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. That can mean uh, burn in sexual frustration and also burn literally, uh, <laughs> be thrown in a lake of fire if you marry the wrong way. Verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, or get a divorce from her husband, verse 11, but, and if her, she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, let not the husband put away his wife. Okay, so in the normal circumstances, uh, when there's no fornication involved, uh, spiritual or physical, uh, you are not to divorce your wife. And the husband, uh, I mean, the wife is not to divorce her husband, verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Any brother has a wife that believes not, and she be pleased to dwell with him. 
pleased. That word means uh, think well of, feel gratified, to dwell with him, let him not put her away or divorce her. Verse And then 13, and a woman which have her husband that believe not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, and that word depart means to go away, to separate, all right? Let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage, the bondage of a marriage where you're not compatible. You have one one uh, believer, one that's a believer, and you have another one that's not a believer. In such cases, but God has called us to peace, and peace means, of course, keeping Torah. Verse 16, for what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or what knowest thou, man, whether you shall save your wife? Tribute to every man as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all the churches. So this is something that should be ordained or instituted in all the assemblies, what he just said here. All right? And he said that if you have an unbeliever and they are not pleased as well, and meaning that they are they, they want to... Uh, they want to work with you and so forth, um, and they're pleased to dwell with you. They're not in utter rebellion of your way of life. Uh, then you're not supposed to resolve or, or dissolve the marriage. But obviously, if they separate, uh, the separation can mean total abhorrence toward your way of life, uh, God's way of life. They hate the Sabbath. They express it every day, or they just do it often enough to get you upset. Uh, they just don't like the way you live. Uh, they, they they don't. They're not in the house. Uh, they 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 just. You hardly ever see them. They they just. You know, I know of someone where, uh, his wife just totally um, separated herself from her husband. So in those type of cases, and she she made sure that. Uh, her husband cannot see her, so that that's a separation. So in that case, you're not under bondage according to the Bible. Okay, so um, he talks about in verse 39. It says the wife is bound by the law as long as she, as long as her husband lives, but if her husband's dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Only in the Lord. So this confirms what Ezra and Nehemiah was saying. You should only, if you're a believer, you should only marry in the Lord. In other words, that other person should be a believer. All right, and then verse 40, but if anyone is doubting that what Shaul here is is talking about is not under the inspiration of God, where it says right here, but she is happier if she... So abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So anyway, he's saying that a widow is happier if she just stays uh, single. And so he says, I think I have the Spirit of God. So if anyone is doubting that what he's saying is not legitimate. All right, so that's it, folks. Um, you have the truth here about divorce. Uh, divorce is allowed for cases where uh, you are with an unbeliever, they're not pleased to dwell, and they show it, and they, they just actually just have separated themselves from you. They don't want anything to do with you. They don't want to be involved in your life. They don't have anything to do with you. That is certainly grounds for a divorce. That's spiritual fornication. Of course, physical fornication as well. 
uh, that's that should be pretty obvious. And so, please don't listen to people who call themselves Torah teachers and tell you that a minister should not advise anyone to get a divorce. They don't know what they're talking about. It's in the scriptures. And that's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to advise people not just about divorce, but also marriage, how to get a marriage, and and other issues of life. And so I hope that this Bible study has revealed the truth to you about these issues. And whenever Yeshua is talking about a marriage, he's talking about, of course, how uh, it's done biblically. And and people will use that example in John chapter 4, but you've had four or five husbands, well, Yeshua doesn't consider anyone a husband or a wife unless it's by Torah. And by Torah, when you become betrothed, you are considered husband and wife. It's just that the marriage has not been completed or sealed by sex. And that happens uh, traditionally 12 months, could be sooner than that, and, or it can and happen almost immediately after, because uh, the Jews do combine the betrothal period with the actual marriage uh, marriage ceremony. And then after that, of course, they they consummate. So that is the way Yeshua and anyone else that understands the Bible would interpret what a marriage really is, ladies and gentlemen. And so if you have any other questions about this very, very important topic, feel free to email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. That's canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. May Yah bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.